Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. We would like to get into some listener feedback this season, so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything even tangentially related to the podcast, you can send an email to Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, at tracknerds.com, or hit me up on Twitter, where my handle is, at tracknerds. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. So today with the killing fields, I couldn't help but notice, and I'm sure you did as well, that this movie is very, very similar to The Year of Living Dangerously, in that it's both about journalists in Southeast Asia and dealing with the troubles going on and how they're going to get out. Yeah, I, I noticed that that similarity too, um, only this one didn't have the stupid romance subplot correct so you know i I think this is is probably the better movie but even that being said and i don't know if this is just my mindset when i was watching it 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 is a little bit slow like it's a good story it's a good movie um it's a good movie it's a good story at the end you feel like oh man like that's really sweet but like there's a lot of times in this movie where it's like oh my gosh like this is just this is so long. <laughs> it's kind of unnecessarily long. It's almost like they didn't have a story to go off of. And I did feel the same way that like as good a movie as this is, and it got several Oscar nominations and some wins. And I think it's an important movie mm-hmm. to watch, but at the same time, it's just, it's not super memorable at long after sorry, I say that. Sorry. There are multiple scenes in this movie that are super impactful and very memorable, but I having yeah. been a, it's been a month or so since I've seen it now, and that was the second time I'd seen it. It is kind of bleeding over into Year of Living Dangerously, and I had to do a lot of research just now to make sure I didn't start accidentally talking about Year of Living <laughs> Dangerously and have them kind of too <laughs> skewed in my mind. Yeah, but with Year of Living Dangerously, that was obviously fictional characters within a realistic setting. This is based on two actual journalists. Yeah. in Cambodia at the time. But let's give the brief, brief rundown of the history of Cambodia. I do think it's important, and I don't know why this has always been a kind of emphasis of mine, that as much as we would not like it if an Italian came over here and couldn't tell the difference between Canadians and Americans, at least as far as recognizing that there was a difference culturally and politically and everything like that, I want to try to give that equal respect when we are looking at Southeast Asia and not just lump all these countries together. And so, yes, we've talked about Vietnam and Indonesia, and we're going to get to Cambodia today. And those are all still different countries with different peoples and different histories. And I don't want to just lump them all together casually just because that's not a part of the world we're super familiar with. Right. Yes. Generally speaking, it it is, you know, because of the part of the world, you do have similar agricultural things going on so cambodia kind of built its society on fishing and dealing with pigs and water buffaloes and growing rice and a lot of things you would expect in southeast asia they were heavily influenced by indian culture both religiously and politically and architecturally and just kind of a lot a lot of influence from india all throughout the history of cambodia and what why is that because they're not they're not necessarily like if you look on a map, I mean, India is closer to Cambodia than the United States is, but it's not it's not like close by. Correct. And we had seen some of that same influence, though, with India even getting down into farther south into Malaysia and stuff, too. So just India was so powerful. Think of it as how how did Macedonia influence Africa? Well, it did because okay. it was that powerful with Alexander gotcha. the Great. So at one point, Indian influence did extend that far, like the actual 
country, or I guess if you could call it that, of India. Yes, it wasn't like a Cambodians going to India and bringing back Indian ideas. It was India's influence was that vast in this region, and it kind of couldn't really go much into China, but it went definitely into Southeast Asia and into Indonesia. And Cambodia was definitely one of the most heavily influenced areas by Indian culture, um, you know, like a thousand years ago. Gotcha. The biggest thing I know Cambodia for is something I've been kind of, oh, not obsessed with, but just very, very interested in going to visit sometime is Angkor Wat, which was uh, Mm -hmm. built in the 12th century. And according to one random YouTube video I watched, is the largest religious building in the world. So they kind of had their peak around that time. But they got fighting a lot of their neighbors and kind of fell into decline. And these famous temples, you know, were grown over by the jungle, which is, of course, part of their appeal today is that you have these thousand year old structures that have basically been swallowed back up by the jungle. And it's kind of because of that, that they were at their peak a thousand years ago. Then 700 years ago, they weren't and everything got grown over. And now today we kind of have these beautiful, beautiful, yeah. um, iconic uh, things. And looking at photos of it, it looks like a, I mean, it looks like something you would see in like an Indiana Jones or like a Tomb Raider movie or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. Angkor, Angkor Wat is gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, if, you know, some of that stuff is filmed in, in those areas or obviously it heavily influences the set designs of movies like that. But yeah, for listeners who, you know, they hear Angkor Wat and they're like, I, I don't know what that is. I guarantee you've seen a picture of it at some point. Right. Right. Like if, when you see a picture of it, you're like, oh, OK, I didn't know that was called that. I mean, I didn't know that that was called that. But okay, now yeah. that I'm, you know, looking at it, it's like, OK, I've, I've definitely uh seen this before just this absolutely iconic southeast asian ancient architecture yes Mm -hmm. so because they weren't in a great uh situation they did kind of agree when europe started doing their thing around the world they kind of agreed to become a french protectorate in the 1700s they basically agreed to kind of become under french control and then they became a part of french indochina it was basically a way for them to actually surprisingly keep some autonomy and not get completely suppressed out of existence by their neighbors so they right. kind of got to maintain their identity i guess which i guess is like i mean i i don't know how what the legal difference is or, or in practice how it was implemented but i'm sure that there is i mean obviously colonialization or colonization is uh is not a good thing but to be a protectorate is probably better than just being straight up getting wiped out. Right. Yeah. Right. And then the Japanese controlled them more during World War Two. And then they were able to negotiate uh, similar to what we did see in Indonesia that following World War Two in 1953, they did declare independence, despite the French trying to maintain control. Very much what we saw in some of these other countries and all about the same time period. Japan kind of comes in, takes everything over. But then in the aftermath of World War Two, they're all kind of able to throw off them the European shackles and Cambodia was definitely in that group and side note before I kind of get back into the movie then here today so something that I feel like this doesn't really we don't really know how to deal with this mindset today so we think of honestly very broad strokes of oh Asians and African people and white people and it's it's almost two broadest strokes and we forget that for thousands of years because people didn't move much, you had very, very small people that still were like, I don't even want to say racially, but like they were independent people. So we saw that in Europe, you think of something like the Celts or the Huns or the mm-hmm. Slavs. And we don't really think of 
people like that today, but it was important. Like, you know, China is mostly Han, and like those are all actually distinct. I can't, I don't know, racist isn't the right word, but ethnic groups. So basically, these ethnic groups sure. that, again, as American mutts, we don't really think of. And so the reason I mentioned that is that so Cambodia is almost exclusively the Khmer people. So they are mm-hmm. ethnically Khmer, and actually 97% of Cambodia's population is of Khmer origin. They are a different people, I guess, even ethnically, if you go back thousands of years, than the Vietnamese or the Laotians or the Chinese. And there is a difference. And again, mm-hmm. kind of what I was saying before, like I wanted to make sure we kind of recognize that difference. So the dude in charge after they declared their independence was, and again, I have no idea how to pronounce this correctly, but uh, Norodom Sinan, Sinan Sihanouk. <laughs> See, yes, I, I thought Sihanouk. Sihanouk. I don't know. And they probably say it in the movie, yeah. but he's, 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 the movie's actually kind of after him. So he was the king of Cambodia from 41 through 55, and then he actually basically just took over as their first prime minister as they kind of became independent. But then, and this is now we're getting to about three years before the movie, three years before the movie begins, he was ousted in a coup. And where this gets really, really complicated, and I would say that this, we talked about how complicated Lumumba was with all the various factions at play and just all the different things. This one's close. I would say it's not quite as bad as Lumumba, but this is very, very complicated. So basically, mm-hmm. he was ousted by basically what was a right-wing faction within Cambodia that was also trying to stave off the growing influence of the communists in Cambodia that were influenced by North Korea. And all during this time, the Vietnam War is going on, and some of that is spilling over into Cambodia, and the U.S. is kind of bombing North Vietnamese communist sites in Cambodia, and this guy was kind of mostly okay with it, at least unofficially, as long as they didn't mess with people who were actually Cambodian citizens, and then he was getting ousted anyway. So then the movie today, taking place in 1973, is kind of right as this right-wing government that had taken over is now in a civil war against the communists in Cambodia. So that guy's been ousted, and it's a civil war going on in Cambodia, and then our characters are the war correspondents, foreign correspondents living in Cambodia to write, basically to send stories out to the West about what's going on. Because, again, they're, they're, news, they're newspapermen, basically. So as far as... And actually, so the movie actually starts before the communists fully take over. Is that right? Yeah, well, because when the movie starts, the the U.S. is still bombing. Like, they're still actively engaged in, like, combat operations in Cambodia as kind of this offshoot from the Vietnam War. Because I think Cambodia, from my understanding, Cambodia was, like, more or less neutral. Correct. Like, throughout the Vietnam War. Um, They didn't really take sides. But they, because they were neutral, they were allowing like North Vietnamese, you know, and Viet Cong dudes to basically, you know, set up camps along the South Vietnamese border. And then so the U.S. then would bomb these camps. And even though they were in Cambodia, they did it, you know, under the the guise of this is this is part of the Vietnam War. Like we're allowed to do this because these guys are launching attacks on us and on South Vietnam from here. So um, like you see, and obviously uh, a ton of civilians died, like tens of thousands of civilians killed in these bombing raids. And, you know, like uh, that's one of the the first scenes of the movie is Sam Watterson's character. What's his name? Uh, Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. Sydney is, uh, is trying to get answers about this bombing raid that wiped out an entire village. 
an entire village of people just wiped off the the map in one of these bombing raids. So that's that's I think where the where the movie kind of starts, and then not long after, because the uh, communists, the Khmer Rouge, which are they're led by Pol Pot, because they start to get more support and start to take over the country, then the and I think this is also about the time that Watergate is going on. So I think that the uh, that kind of also influenced this as well. But the the United States conducted this uh, Operation Eagle Pole, um, which you see in the movie where all the helicopters fly in and start flying out um, like refugees and they fly out all the people in the embassy. And that's how the uh, Prawn, that's how his family is able to get out as part of this Operation Eagle Pole to get all these people out of Cambodia before the communists take over. Right. The, the, the simple rundown of the movie itself, because we've kind of been talking around it, is that, yes, stuff starts hitting the fan in Cambodia and these journalists are trying to report it while also making sure they survive. And first this uh, prawn, a native Cambodian who's working with the Western journalists gets his family out. Then the Western journalists get out, but fail to get prawn out. And then kind of the last third of the movie is prawn trying to escape Cambodia and from a labor camp controlled by the communists that have now taken over the country and again, it's all based on a true story, though. So that's what's ultra fascinating and then emotionally cathartic at the end when he does finally get out. And Well, Prawn, yeah. doesn't Prawn volunteer to stay the first time? Like, he gets his family out, but he's like, oh, I'm going to stay behind and help to the get journalists. To get the work done. To get the work done. And right. That, and that's why John Malkovich's character is so mad yeah. at Sam Waterston because he's like, you just wanted him to stay and help us get our story when his life is right. at stake. He might die because Basically, you wanted a story. Right. He, he could have been out like five years earlier if... He would have left with his family, right? But he chose to stay. He volunteered, but he was. It was like Malkovich's character think it's, it was coercive volunteering, right? Because it, and it, you know, fr- from his point of view, and, and it does kind of make sense, you know, when you think about it this way. Like Malkovich and I'm just going to call them by their actors' names because yeah, I think it's it was easier. the characters' names. But Malkovich and Sam Waterhouse said, like they know they're going to be able to to get out. Like they're Americans, they have American passports. They are pretty confident in their ability to be able to basically hit the eject button when they need to. Um, but this prawn dude, he he's making an even bigger decision by choosing to stay because he doesn't have any of that. You know, he just and he when you know these two American journalists are walking around, like if they walk up to the British embassy, they're like, "Hey, we're Americans. Like, help us out." Right. They will because they're two white dudes. Um, but when Prawn walks up there and he's like, Hey, Oh no, I'm, I'm like with these journalists, you know, there's nothing necessarily to, to show that, which they, they run into later with the whole passport thing. So him volunteering to stay, uh, it, it does end up screwing him over a little bit. Cause then he obviously gets stuck in Cambodia. Right. And he was, and he, and basically then we, through his eyes, we witnessed the horrors of the Pol Pot Khmer Rouge regime, yeah. which killed 2 million Cambodians, about a quarter of their population at the time, as the communists right. left, then takes over from the group that overthrew the original guy I mentioned, the the king or whatever. And yeah. Khmer Rouge actually kind of started as just a nickname. I mentioned it's the Khmer people. And then 
it's actually I, I love in just the title itself of the Khmer Rouge how many things are at play. So the Khmer is the ethnic group, but then Rouge mm-hmm. is French for red, and we already talked about the French right. historical connection. So it just means right. the the red Khmer people. So as in the communist Khmer people, so the Khmer Rouge is the name then. for, And then they committed these horrible atrocities as they took power. And basically, just like you saw with Stalin in Russia or, or Lenin, you know, and all that, he's killing dissidents. That's basically what was happening here. And you just had the slaughter of the people. And then so our character, Prawn, as he's trying to escape, does literally stumble upon the titular killing fields right. where I wouldn't even want to call it a mass grave because the people aren't even buried. And it's just this no, field of yeah. dead bodies that have been there for yep. months because they're half skeletons covered in rags. And we see this character yep. who's barefoot walking through this and it's horrifying because it actually yep. happened. And yes. it's just very, very intense. And again, like the, the highlight of the movie is when he gets home and just after five years of dealing with these horrors, he finally sees his Western friends and he's able to escape. And then they both went on to, you know, they both were journalists well into the 80s. Actually, they didn't even die. I think Prawn died in 2008. I keep saying, yeah, it is Prawn. Um, died in 2008 and then Sydney died in 20, just in 2016 here. So just an, mm-hmm. an interesting friendship that it kind of focuses on dealing with these real life atrocities. Yeah. And uh, when he's in the camp, it, it shows the kind of uh, the re-education stuff that they're doing under the what they call the year one policy, which was basically like the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot's attempt to erase anything before, you know, whatever, what 1975 when they took over. They were erasing. They would say this net like don't ever talk about this. Oh right, specifically Western stuff, but anything, yeah. Right, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of it. Like this is year one basically like time is starting right now and even getting rid of like western medicine so that people were dying of disease yeah. that they had basically yep. eliminated in cambodia but no nope, we don't want yep. any western medicine so now people are dying of malaria again well and, and they even show in the movie they're like is there anyone here who's like a teacher or a doctor like we you know we need you we want your help and then they just take them and kill them wow because they're western educated and we didn't want that yeah knowledge. well i guess i guess it doesn't it doesn't show what happened but he says the, they took these guys we never saw them again right. and then he finds killing field he says oh this is where all these people went right similar to what you would have seen in germany with hitler youth where they're just kind of re-educating the kids that this is the only like you said they, the only, this is the only thing that's ever existed this is all that matters is the now with our new communist regime and right and I'm, okay am i getting this confused with another movie wasn't there a thing with the guy trying to like get his son out or something though and wanted prawn to help him Remind me of that but then the kid ends up dead right yeah so the the guy one of the like the camp leaders takes a liking to prawn well and his son does too because he's like basically prawn is like helping this guy out he's like his assistant slave basically right and uh he eventually ends up kind of taking a liking to prawn and says hey if i ever like get killed by these guys because everyone's just killing everybody you know he says you know will you take care of my son well the guy gets killed and prawn finds out that the sun has a map that's like that leads out of the area so they're trying to follow it and it's it's him and another guy and the sun and then the guy that they're with is holding the kid and accidentally steps on a landmine and it blows him up that's right and then prawn goes on by himself right yeah which and and that's 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 another thing the whole you know landmines along the cambodian border Mm. like 
millions, millions of landmines placed out there, basically. as Because they're a, still finding them, right? Oh, yeah. It's still a huge... Like, there's like millions of acres of land there that's unfarmable because it's full of landmines. And there are... There's all these, like, NGOs and nonprofits and stuff that are working to, you know, go through and basically minesweep a lot of these fields, a lot of these areas. But there's... There were millions of these things, and a bunch of them are still there, yeah. So after the events in the movie, Pol Pot, they kind of got a little too big for their britches. They only controlled Cambodia for about a five to seven year window here until North Vietnam kind of took over and kicked them out. They basically, after taking control of Cambodia, they started kind of punching their way into Vietnam after we had left. Of course, yeah, I guess there wasn't a North Vietnam anymore. It was just Vietnam as one United Communist country. So Cambodia with yeah. Pol Pot starts trying to basically mess with them. Well, Vietnam wins and ends up kind of kicking the Khmer Rouge out of Cambodia, or at least out of power. And so... Yeah. Pol Pot was essentially just in exile, or at least anyway, just had no power yeah, anyway. Yeah, because he he moved he he had to leave because the the Khmer Rouge basically fled to Thailand, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. They got they got kicked out of Cambodia. So they yeah they still existed. Yeah, the Khmer Rouge existed for another twenty years after they got kicked out. They were still, mm-hmm. since they're still active until nineteen ninety nine, and Pol Pot died in ninety eight. But for the last twenty years of that, they were no longer in control of Cambodia, and. Actually, then our guy from earlier, the president, or the, he was actually king, then prime minister, Nodaram Suhanuk or whatever, is now back in charge as they even said the monarchy was restored. So he becomes the king again in 1993. Until 93, the Vietnamese occupied it and then the monarchy was restored. So basically, it wasn't even independent. Cambodia, finally, 93, was restored. And that's essentially modern Cambodia. It's essentially a dictatorship. This guy's son is in charge today. Okay. Is the king. So the guy who took over, it was the first king in 41. His son in 2020 is still in charge. So with obviously a lot happened in between, but they're not particularly well off. Basically the tourism industry because of Angkor Wat kind of helps keep them afloat, but it's Mm -hmm. uh, considered a very corrupt country and it is still a dictatorship, but... It's one of those things I want to visit, but I'm a little nervous to visit. And sure. But, but I think it's probably okay you go with a tour group, kind of like Egypt, I guess. Yeah. And for Western tourists, you're probably relatively safe, you know, because they, they want to make sure that the, oh, like, true. you're not probably going to be a victim of the corruption, you know. And, right. Because then they, they don't want to, they don't want to cut that revenue stream off. Yeah. They, yeah. Because, you know, that's how they probably, the country most of its income is through tourism and all of the you know tourism adjacent industries so and let's see so as a as a movie the killing fields is a 93 percent on rotten tomatoes it was nominated for seven academy awards and won three for the the guy that played this prawn uh huang nor i don't know how to say his name again i suck with southeast asian pronunciations just across the board yeah um, he won best yeah. supporting actor it won best cinematography which I'm sure you could speak to, and it won Best Film Editing, was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director. Sam Watterson was nominated for Best Actor, and it had a screenplay nomination as well. So a, a very successful, highly critically acclaimed movie. It's not even that, even though we said it was slow, I wouldn't say it's that tough of a sit. You do, it's like No, maybe, it's not that bad. It's, it's just a little slow and maybe... Could, yeah. could be could be streamlined a little bit, but it's like two and a half hours. I think I think it's actually just shy of two and a half hours, like okay. hundred and 
140 something minutes. But yeah, I, I think if you cut off maybe half an hour to 40 minutes, it would be a lot easier to watch. But then again, I don't really know where you cut it out because you are trying to show five years worth of time passing. Right, right. So, and honestly, but, we usually refer to movie vegetables as older movies. Maybe there's a little bit of a movie vegetable thing going on here where yeah. you really just need to watch this movie and because of the subject matter right right yeah just just kind of for your own edification yeah it's 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 rough but a good movie that we definitely recommend oh and the one other thing i wanted to mention is that so the whole cambodia vietnam stuff this is where apocalypse now happens is where martin sheen's character in apocalypse now is going into cambodia to track down the marlon brando character now that's they're not in with all this stuff happening they're kind of more just in the wilderness as opposed to in the cities which i should mention the capital of cambodia phnom penh yeah phnom penh yeah which i've heard phnom penh many many times over the years and it just never clicked in my mind that it was the capital of cambodia with you know two million people living in it in my (laughs) mind it was almost like a name it was like a name or something and I'm like, and even in the movie, they would mention it a lot. I'm like, who are they talking about? I was like, no, that's and the capital city of Cambodia is Phnom Penh. I think that's almost like, you know, as good of a reason as any to to watch movies like this, like expose yourself to a movie that's going to talk about place names and geography and, you know, culture stuff like Khmer Rouge that you would not necessarily be exposed to, you know, otherwise, at least not, you know, in the United States. You know, just get get a little cultured. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and especially because if I were to tell you to, you know, name the 10 biggest cities in the world, one, you might be wrong. And two, I'm going to list them right now here, according to Wikipedia. And now this is the largest 10 cities in the world by metropolitan area. So you have Tokyo, uh-huh. followed by Delhi in India, Shanghai, China, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Mexico City, Cairo, Mumbai, India, Beijing, China, Dhaka, Bangladesh, and Osaka, Japan. I don't know if that was about 10. But anyway, just it's not necessarily what you think. Where it's like, well, where's New York City? Well, it's it's right after Osaka. But like just oh, the fact yeah. that, oh, there's 10 regions, 10 metropolitan areas that are larger than New York City. And think about like in the United States, like everybody knows about Boston, right? Boston's only like half a million people. You say, where's Phnom Penh? No idea. Didn't even know right. it was a city, Boston's but it's tiny. four times the size of Boston. Exactly. So kind of to our point that there's these giant areas with tons of people and culture and things happening and life going on, and they're way bigger than what we call some of our, our biggest cities. You know, I, I read somewhere that like, it's either right now or they were saying like by 2050 or something like that, one in eight people in the world would live in a city in China. Not just live in China, live in a city in China. One out of every eight people in the world. That's crazy. Anyway, just kind of like you were saying, Logan, just watch some of these movies for other parts of the world and expose yourself to what else is out there beyond just our own narrow worldview. Okay, so yes, watch The Killing Fields, and that takes us out of Southeast Asia for a little bit. And next week, we'll be going back to South America and Brazil with the 2002 film City of God. <laughs>